Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Welcome to The Ramble. I'm with my boy, Adam Bessie here. Adam is the Chief Creative Officer for the Agency Media and Weston Group. Agency Media is an award-winning digital marketing company based in Langley. That's in beautiful British Columbia, about 20, 30 minutes from Vancouver. It specializes in video, web, and digital ads. Adam is also an award-winning filmmaker who has traveled the world filming various stories and has been invited to multiple conferences to speak on video and video marketing. He is a husband, a father of two, born and raised in Chilliwack, a smaller town. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> About another 45 minutes from uh, Langley. And is the co-host of a Dallas Cowboys podcast called Cowboys Can Fan, which we're going to talk about. Adam, my brother, welcome to the show. I forgot that. Oh, thank you for having me, uh, Joel. It's uh, I'm a rambler, so this is probably a more fitting podcast for me to be on than any other podcast out there. We're in... We're we're on my podcast, but we're in your podcast studio. So this could end up just this could be this could end up me overtaking your podcast and being the host of Ramble. Dude, you could totally be. Well, how many podcasts have you hosted? Three now. Yeah. So we, when pandemic started, just like everybody else, we started one for agency to talk directly with uh, businesses. We did one called the story behind the business, mm-hmm. and then. After a while, when after a while, and this isn't this isn't a slight on anybody who has a business based podcast. We just felt like no one's going to be really listening to our podcast. We were trying to do it to more so have it as like a business development lead. So we would top interview of funnel stuff, like top of funnel stuff. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. And we found that. Uh, yeah, it just became after a while. We thought, well, it's not really like uh, for anybody, but us or the people who are on it. It was good for a moment. I, like in terms of us wanting to have like our own personal brand and building a podcast out, it just wasn't the same mix. So that was one of the podcasts that we started and it kind of got me into wanting to be on podcasts or start talking as like a host. And then I just really wanted to produce one. So my brother, uh, we kind of were, when you were doing my intro, you're like Dallas Cowboys podcast uh did i say it wrong no no yeah no you know it was it is a dallas cowboys podcast i started because i wanted to and i approached you early on and be like hey i just want to produce somebody's podcast i don't want to put any effort into setting it up or doing anything of the such i just want to produce the episodes and and start building a brand and kind of create a network in a sense and my brother was doing a cowboys podcast and i was like he has longevity with it because he is a cowboys fan Mm -hmm. so it'll it's not like he's just going to one day get bored of it and stop doing it. He's always going to be a Cowboys fan and he's going to talk Cowboys. So I started to do that, but like anything I kind of get involved and I try to, I take on more than what I'm assuming. And I ended up starting to get really involved. And then Alex Johnson came on as a producing partner with me on it. And then we ended up being co-hosts for it. So we've been over a year now doing it. We went down to Dallas for a couple of games. We've been shooting, building the YouTube channel up and just like totally immersed ourselves. So 
that's the one podcast I would say that's like the podcast that I do outside of my job. It's, I don't look at it as a, as a job in general, but it's hard, right? Cause to your point about the first one, the story behind the business, when you're doing these things, you don't want to be part of the noise as a creative, which one, you got to meet yourself where you are. You got to say like, how can I do something that's authentic to me? Like your bro. And yep. what's so interesting about the Cowboys podcast, cause I've watched some is like, you're not, you you're a fan of sport, but you weren't a diehard Cowboys fan. No, and so I wasn't like, a Cowboys fan at all. Right, so you're blasting into this thing as, yeah. as this guy who's there. And yeah. then, but your knowledge is like increasing yeah. as it goes yeah. on. And there's something authentic about that. And when you go back to the business, it's like there's so many. And there's good ones. Yep. And there's ones that are just part of the noise. Yep. Right. Well, and that, so that's where we felt we wanted to pivot and t- kind of getting to what you were saying about this room. We built this room because within the, so when you do the intro, uh, I'm part of a group of companies that Andrew Westland, who owns agency media and he started and he founded agency media. He also founded the Westland group, Andrew Westland, Westland group. Yeah. Uh, it's his building and he has multiple companies and I'm a partner with him in one of them, which is coastal drone. So I guess I should put that on my resume Better. or my portfolio that Better. I'm, that I'm a co-owner of a business. Things a little thin, buddy. I know. I beef that up. <laughs> uh, but just internally as a, as an organization, we realized that out of the multiple businesses that are part of the group, like we could, we could really utilize a room that was turnkey. You step in, yeah. sit down, have a conversation, uh, have it set up so that if we wanted to live stream something to clients or if we wanted to do question and answers, anything to do with like the world that we live in now where it needs to be online, you need to have a video presence, uh, you need to have some sort of audio set up. We just wanted to have a room that we could use fundamentally as an organization ourselves because we have about 15 businesses within our group of companies. But we also wanted to utilize it for something like this. You have a podcast rent the room out and you'll have lighting, you'll have TVs, you'll have cameras, you'll have, you know, audio and it'll sound good. And you can come in and an hour and a half record and film and do your podcast and then have something that you can share without having to own the space. Because the differentiation now is you need to step it up from just being a zoom based podcast, which everybody can do a zoom based podcast. So you're going to start seeing people, want to or try to have differentiators to make sure that they have something that feels and looks different than everybody else. I agree. It's one of those things where like when the barrier to entry drops and the thing gets democratized and everybody does it, that's a, that's a good moment in time, but then it hits saturation and you have to got to say, okay, well, what am I going to do? Sorry. And that's the, when I was trying to talk about the story behind the business, I went on to this whole thing about, everybody's doing a business podcast that's not where I was trying to go with it. We, we basically wanted to stop it because everybody was doing those zoom based podcasts. So this was the start of the pandemic. We were locked down in a sense, uh, businesses were very uncertain. So we thought, Oh, let's do a podcast a day to help people focus on what other people are learning and doing during this and a business uh, in a business sense. Um, and how you're managing through the, the pandemic. So we started doing it and then it's like everybody shows up, you, everything looks Zoom. So when we started talking about like, what would we do to mature it or have a differentiator on it 
it was all just going to be zoom based with some of the guests that we were going to get with that we were going to have on it. And we just thought, let's not put the time and effort into that. If we're not going to really go full, fully into that type of like differentiation factor. Kind of don't, if you're not going to do it well, don't do it at all. Exactly. Where I want to go with that is two things. One, Andrew Westland is a badass motherfucker of, a, <laughs> of an entrepreneur, right? Oh, good. We can swear on this podcast. Right? I like that. We can. He, I hope, Andrew, you don't mind me saying that because I say <laughs> it with the highest degree of, com- uh, as a compliment because he's the type of entrepreneur like a few that I know that has zero fear. Yep. He goes in, he goes all in, and he just, he loves the idea a good idea. And I'm using that as a very rocky transition to your content create. And you've always been. Yep. And I, and I don't love that word. I will, I'm going to switch it to you're a filmmaker. Thank at you. Maybe at or essence. And you've been doing films since you were 12, 15, yeah. dedicated, like, yep. like really the kid who, when one day when he wins the Academy Award, it's like, no, this was the first campaign, <laughs> right? But I'm curious about and when we're talking about creating good content, yeah, how have you, in your role here and, and in your and in your personal projects, continue to create when all the odds are against you creating? Because, and I, when I mean odds, I mean practically speaking, it makes zero sense for people like you and I, to, from a financial standpoint, from a yep. time standpoint, to create yeah. like we do. So, talk to me about your 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 commitment to creating so i'm fortunate enough to and i appreciate you saying filmmaker instead of content creator i think as much as i preach in my day-to-day job content 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 you know my passion is and will always be film uh so and i've always identified myself as like a filmmaker the difference is is that there's been there's people out there that have made more films than me but the in practice, like I spend all my time with cameras and with technology and storytelling, but it's all within that business sense and content sense. So when I look at, uh, and I'm totally blown past your question and I'm going to ramble, uh, <laughs> but when I look at like, in terms of, you know, content, like I speak about content creation every day, uh, at work, at home, doing my personal projects, doing my work projects, anything I'm talking, it is, it it generally is around content, not film. I don't really, I don't really take the approach, at least not right now as like, what's the film? What's the story? What's this? We want to find the art. We want to find the essence into it. And all of that is absolutely number one, whenever we're talking about content in general. But I think because everybody talks about how like important storytelling is and how important you know, this piece of content can be, you just kind of get sick of hearing the same type of buzzwords all the time. So I'm fine with the word content, but one of the things that we look at as a group, as an, as an organization and and going back to, you mentioned Andrew Wesleyan, you know, the thing that Andrew and I connect really well with is that he is a nut about filming and photos and putting out, you know, content, putting out video content specifically uh, getting the shot, strategizing about what it would take to get that shot or to make that. And like I said, I look at it as a piece of art sometimes, but ultimately if you're on deadlines or if you're on budgets or you're on projects that uh, you got to kind of step away from being like, this needs to be this perfect piece of 
art and sometimes you just got to get it out. So I think where I'm at right now, professionally and personally, professionally I'm at the point of like, what's good for the business. Cause a lot of times people will wait too long to put something out or they'll try to make it too perfect and they never get a piece of content out or they never get a piece of art out because they're always, uh, they're always working on, they're always refining it on the personal. And, and this is where you and I connect on the film level is like, you can't just put out shit. Like it has to look good. It has to sound good. It has to feel good. It has to be part of the story. All of those elements are, are, are important. So it is that kind of internal battle that I have where it's like, you need to do what's best for the business sense and, and what you need to do for the brand. And that doesn't always necessarily come down to a perfect piece of content because budgets really, really matter when it comes to personal projects. I'll usually weigh it out. Okay. Do I want this to be a piece of art that I need to take time and, and perfect it? Or does it need to be something that just needs to get out there? Cause it has to hit a fucking algorithm. Yeah. Right. Are you, how, how focused are you on that here and elsewhere where there's this idea that there, if you're going to be a social media influencer or if you're going to use social to some degree of, of how it's designed to be used, there's, there seems to be a, quantity over quality yeah yeah so you're okay so yeah in let's say for our cowboys can fan podcast we're in growth here like we're building we're in after year one everything that you put out there specifically for that medium matters right so we're we're creating a podcast and we're doing live streams uh for our episodes so we're putting stuff out on youtube and we're putting stuff out on audio form it's more important right now for us to make sure we get something out in this first year than how rich the content is. If you look at someone like Mr. Beast, who's, who, cre and Mr. Beast is a YouTuber for those of you who are Mr. unaware. Mr. Beast Burger. Yeah, I had it. It was actually really good. Yeah, keto, right? Uh, I didn't have the keto one. I, is it, I, no, maybe it's not keto. It's not keto. It's no, not no, keto. it definitely not keto. Cause I had the burger I had, had fries on the burger with a bun. It was not keto. Okay, that's very, it was not a keto burger. <laughs> I think they probably have a keto option. Um, I mean, everybody has fucking keto options now, which is, which is nice, uh, for the people who are trying to eat no carbs, but to go back to the, your point where, when you're looking, you got to look at what you're trying to do. If you're, if you're trying to grow a YouTube channel, there's, you could say, make the best piece of content. Well, no shit. Of course you need to make the best piece of content. But there is a sense that you just have to get into habit and rhythm and then look at the data and then adjust based on the data. So if you start putting out pieces of content, like early on, we started to see that our, we weren't even planning, I don't want to just ramble here, on the Dallas Cowboys Can Fan podcast that we do, we never plan on doing live stream watch alongs for the games. So season starts. We're like, well, we're going to watch the game anyways. Let's just have it live stream right. for five hours. And then we'll talk about the game the next day and then we'll review it. Well, we found earlier on that we're getting more hits and views when there's a live stream. So we started to look and see what other people are doing during that. And then we tweak and adapt to the point where that became a staple couple weeks into the season that we needed to be on Sundays live streaming us watching the game and talking about the game. The benefit of that is not only are we utilizing something that the platform's prioritizing, which is live, like live streaming. We were also able to uh, take clips from that. So we have this 45 minute, you could take a four hour, sorry, a four hour game 
and you could clip out the best moments of us cheering or whatever the case may be and make shorter pieces of content because you're mining this thing that you created. So you engaged with other people while the game was going on and then you could mine it and then use that to help boost the algorithm as the weeks go on. So in that sense, Joel, it's very important just to kind of play within the boundaries. If I was creating a channel like Mr. Beast or if I was doing a review channel for something, then it would be more important to make sure, A, the content has to be good. It has to look better than what other everybody else is doing. And you want to make sure it's retaining the people who are watching it. So it's part of it's the idea, but it's more so you're looking at analytics of when are people dropping off and what are pe- how long is the retention factor in. Like if you're building a YouTube channel, you need to have 75% retention on your videos consistently to start seeing major channel growth. Retention being... I've watched 75% of the video. video. Yeah. So if you put out this thing that you think this is a piece of art, I need this to be great. And people watch 15% of the video. Well, guess what? YouTube's not going to prioritize your video into other people's feeds. So it's going to be next to impossible for people to watch it. But guess what? You made that perfect piece of art that nobody's going to watch. And if you're fine with that, then great. Perfect. Does Spotify do that? Audio through just audio? Well, yeah. So... Yeah, it's the same thing. Like it's so Spotify. If people are streaming your, uh, if people are streaming your podcast, okay. then they'll know where people are maybe dropping off or not listening. Um, most of the times for podcasts, it's downloads. So I'll download that episode, at Apple Podcasts or uh, Anchor or whatever. You're you're down. It's it's all about downloads. So if you have a hundred downloads, well, I don't know if everybody listened to hundred percent of that download, but I know I got a hundred downloads, which helps when you're going to advertisers or when you're going to try to secure different sponsorships. So again, you got to look at the platform that you're, you're hedging it on. And then you got to be able to siphon that data out to figure out where you're going to go. Podcasts, they, you know, a recommendation for podcast, have it under 20, 25 minutes. It's like 25 to 22 minutes is like a sweet spot when doing it. And a, a nice, heavily, I'm fucked. yeah, no, dude, we're <laughs> fucked too. We're, we, we do like an hour and 20 or something yeah. like that. But like you and I were talking about, you talk with somebody for 90 minutes, you can have this chunky episode, but then you can throw in bite-sized things that people may or may not want some, some more focused stuff. Is any of your audience going to listen to someone like myself who is just babbling and going all over the place? Maybe. Or would it be more impactful for your audience to hear me just talk for the last three minutes? Because what if I say some gold here and they don't make it 10 minutes in? It's like they didn't like my voice. They don't like how fast I talk. They don't like my inclination. So the benefit of being in a digital space is you can do a lot of pretty cool stuff based on data. And as long as you know how to creatively pivot, then you can kind of amplify or, or increase your brand. These are, those are how we're talking right now is how I would be consulting a client on something and not just like a client who's doing a fucking podcast, a client who's trying to make something for their business. We don't, we don't deal with like, we don't just do commercials at agency media. Agency media does websites. We do uh, social media management. We do, I guess we don't really, technically we don't really do social media management. We do like paid advertising, we do SEO, and then we uh, focus on video content creation. A lot of times it's for businesses that need to either use it as sales material or they need to use it for recruitment 
or they need to use it as like clusters for social media. And that's where I was going with social media management, creating 15 second clips that people could post on social. And, you know, because we worked on a project called Raising Global Citizens, which was a film that I shot with my family around the world. And then you became the post-production supervisor, uh, producer of it, where that was many, many hats. And we toggled back and forth, like headbutt, you know, sparred a little bit on whether or not this was an episode-based series, you know, 78 hours of footage, or it was going to be a one-off documentary. And I drove it towards the, the, the documentary side. And, you know, I'm curious because how do you look at a story or a piece of content and say, just because this is the more digestible or popular mode of, of watching this, this, this story deserves and or needs and or should be told this way. Yeah. Where are you coming in and saying, no, because you've, because just for context, like you've done, you've shot a feature in Cambodia. Uh, the, I don't know what the name of the, the motorcycle trip is from California to Florida. Today we ride. Today no, but the, the actual name of oh the uh, the uh, it was the fifty cc it was like the uh, iron butt challenge yeah okay and you did that as a feature you did, as a beginning of a, as a feature you did ours and then my my dad who's a musician did one up in Prince George but you you know, theoretically similar length of footage maybe but you chose to make that episodes so where are you coming in and saying as someone who, who sees all the different content, how do you, how does somebody assess that and say, this is, this is actually a story that needs all the components in 60 minutes or 70 minutes or 50 minutes? Yeah. Great question. So say if you're a filmmaker and you're trying to put this project together and you have somebody like Joel's dad, Corey, who has a fantastic story about quitting his job, a 50 something quitting his like well-paying job to chase his dream of becoming a musical artist. So when we're sitting with Corey and we're trying to figure out, you know, wh- how, wh- where are you going to use this and how are you going to use this? Because you're selfishly, if I was to do a documentary, of course I want to have this feature length documentary put into film festivals, have these visions of grandeur about winning some sort of hot docs or, you know, Toronto international film festivals, the documentaries, like, like you have these things growing up that you want to do. But in the practicality of it, when Corey was quitting his job and he was going to become a full-time musician, it's like, Corey, the money that you're investing into this project, it, you'll, you're better suited to not just have one kick at the can. And it's almost like the same thing that you and I talked about on this project. Why are you pigeonholing yourself to have this one-and-done film project when you can leverage the content and, and use it to amplify your brand or you could use it to amplify and build something, right? Build something to be more of a long-term project. So where am I with it? It, it? it depends on the person, it depends on the project and it depends on what their strategy of like releasing is going to be or their idea. Like most of the times I think the problem that I run into is I'm com- other people with their ideas are coming to me versus me going to people with my ideas. Okay, so I find I do a, a fairly good job at hearing what someone's wanting to do and then buying into their goal or their dream or their vision and then helping them get further along with it. So your project, Raising Global Citizens, I didn't want to be involved in the first place because I didn't have the time, but I wanted to make sure that you were taken care of. I wanted to be involved. 
Dude, no, I've, you no. I want. <laughs> listen, I'll take that back. I actually wanted to be the one that was yeah. down there with you, but I sorry. I wanted, I wanted to be, you down there with. Me. I wanted to be down there yeah. with you, and I think the the crew that you had with uh, Connor and Joel, I think they did a fantastic job at at filming and shooting it and writing it. But when you come to like releasing it with Cosan and all of the projects and businesses that you were involved in, and where you wanted to go and the other projects you wanted to start, that's where that's where it was like, well, wait a second. Why does this have to be one film? Okay. A, nobody knows who Joel Primus is, unfortunately. You're not like uh you're not like uh an a Ewan McGregor who's gonna do uh, a, a motorcycling uh, long a, way around. Long way around. So you're fighting a battle here right out of the gate. That's that, real too. That right. you're not then you're not a personality. That's right? real. Yeah. And I'm sorry, real. and you are a personality, but no, you're no, not a personality. I, you know, we go back to because I spent that that took Five years to film, four years to film. And it took four years to film because that's how long it took to get the money and any kind of fundraising in between each episode or each, each country because I'm not you and yeah. Gregor. Yeah. And what's interesting about what you're saying is we look at like, we look at a piece of art and we say, how many different ways can this be cut? And we, and so with Raising Global Citizens, we do this 90 minute film yep. from, an, from, sev- from 78 hours of footage. And we get rejected by 18 out of 21 film festivals. Yep. And at that moment in time, you were for sure right. That was an episode-based, uh, it should have been episode-based. Each country should have been an, a se- uh, an episode within a season. Then COVID happens. Yep. And all of a sudden, we are stopped as a family is traveling. And you come out to the farm where we're living. And now all of a sudden, there's a film. Yep. Why? Because there was a, a real problem. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the whole thing changed. Yep. Now, you know, granted, we haven't put it out there yet, but there's been far more interest in it. Because of that? Because of, because now, and you kept saying, you're like, dude, I don't get the story. I, it's all nice. It's all pretty. But where's the story that, in, that makes me want to sit down for 90 minutes yeah. and watch this thing? There's a weird thing. I mean, you've probably seen the memes where people are like, oh, a two-hour movie? I can't. I don't have the time for that. 10-hour episode on Netflix? Oh, I'll binge it, <laughs> binge, right? yeah. Because it's episodic, you have a you have a, uh, a chance to pull people through, and you have a chance to get people back, and you have a chance to tweak things as we go. So because there was so much footage from Raising Global Citizens... And there's a lot of good footage that we cut out of of it in the initially interviews, travel stuff that just didn't feel like it could help the uh, the long form narrative, but it would work even better as like an episodic narrative, even to when you and uh, O'Neill went traveling when you were younger. Like there was, I'm looking at this, I'm like, there's at least three to four episodes here that we can use, and this, you know, the storyline with raising global citizens, I thought. And because you and I talk so much, this is where we would not disagree, but this is where we would converse and we are on different sides. Generally, Joel would always be like, no, I hear what you're saying and I agree with you, but, but. Was that a, was that a representation of my voice? I mean, not, I mean, <laughs> kind of. Be a lay masse. Be lame. No. <laughs> That's a city we visit. Oh, I'm and trying to, I'm trying to, it'll, it'll, just reiterate the voice no. over and over. Cordoba, Argentina. Cordoba, Argentina. Oh, uh, you yeah. just know how to, to bring somebody down. Yeah, I was going to say, I started <laughs> I started as a post-production supervisor, and then when I realized that there was a lot, of, he was going to spend a lot of money on on people to do posts on this, I 
took it and then I said, hey, I'll come on as a producer and I won't charge you for editing. But what Joel realized is that it probably elongated the process by three years <laughs> by working <laughs> with me on this. Give me a few bucks though. And save you some money. But to get to get back to it, there's just, you had so much footage that how can I help you A, recoup your cost, uh, B, how can we leverage it into this bigger brand? And then there was just those real conversations of like, okay, well, we've been rejected. So now plan B would be to start to create this brand for you so that you can sell your next project. You know, and I said, how do you feel? And this is a real question. How do you feel about RGC not being your project, your, your, your launch pad? It's your, it's your learning curve for being a filmmaker because this is your second film that you attempted. And it could be the thing that sets you up for your next project, for you to sell your next project. Those, those are like real conversations that Absolutely. we had. And people have to have them with themselves. And people have to have them with themselves. When I, this go around after we got the film to a, a, a more concrete story uh, and and a place that, or a story that seemed to be more engaging and we got some interest from an agent to represent the film, to shop it to networks, etc. He said exactly what you said, and this is something that everybody should consider is, what is the use case of the film? So if you're if you're an email marketer, or sorry, if you're if you're a coach, let's say, then everything is funneling down to something else. Maybe that's a course you have. Maybe that's you just want to one on one coach somebody. But I'm talking yeah. like you put out a YouTube video, you sit there on IG Live, and you you espouse some wisdom. You're hoping that that just catches somebody at the top of the funnel and brings them all the way down to sign up for something where you get a return on your investment. And I never once thought of the film in that way. Right. He's like, it's not only, okay, maybe you don't want to do a Raising Global Citizens course, although he did bring it up, yeah. to like, how do you travel with with uh, your kids? Because there's tons of people doing that, and I don't, the time commitment is absurd. But what else? And that exactly what you said was, have have a strategy around, if I put this out here as a, almost like batting practice. What, what is what comes behind it, and how do I use it as a, as a very real stepping stone to the next thing that I want? And so it's, it's about being a little bit more long term minded when you put out content. Yeah, and that I was just texting the front desk. Is that. Rob here? Uh, no, no, no. That's the, yeah. <laughs> the next, uh, the next one. <laughs> yeah. So the the big challenge that a lot of people have, I think that you know, with digital. Uh, with phones, I mean, like, look, phones look so good for, for video content and even the audio content that you could, with your daily device, make a film strictly off of this. It's it's happened. I mean, we don't need to be like, you're you got a phone studio in your in your in your pocket, but like <laughs> growing growing up, like the camera that I have in my hand right now is far better than anything I I learned even in film school, that it it decentralizes having to necessarily like there's a the beautiful thing about internet and where we're at today and being able to di- go directly to uh, your audience is that you don't need permission. You don't need, you don't even necessarily need a budget to be able to create a piece of art or a piece of content. You just got to spend the time to learn how to do it. Things that don't ever change is like story structure, engaging with your audience, you know, uh, f- like there's tried and true things that even in, the digital world that we do today was formed, you know, 60 years ago, hundred years ago, thousands of years ago, right? It's just, 
it, that that type of structure is is it hasn't really necessarily changed. What's changed is these platforms. What's changed is technologies, and the difference is is can you leverage it? So to kind of get to your to to your point, where you're trying to sell RGC and and adjusting it is a lot of times people get so blinders on and they get focused on what they want to do with something that they miss out on the opportunities that are right in front of them. So I grew up thinking that I had to create a film that would go to a film festival and then a film festival to a, a theater release. And that's how I would become a filmmaker. And I missed out on the early days of getting film content on YouTube. I missed out on a lot of opportunities that I should have jumped on because I was so blind or set on a, on a certain path. I wasn't looking at what the landscape of things were, how, how are people's behaviors changing? How are people consuming things? And then not having the energy to like jump into that. So a lot of the times when I was, I'll say consulting you on this project or just coaching you through like the situations, uh, I don't want to say it like I'm just coach, but like my life coach, this is just from like, me being in this digital space every single day talking about like digital marketing and video marketing to working with somebody on a personal project and how can we readjust and re-leverage that to our benefit or to your benefit long-term and not have those blinders on. Okay. We just went through 20 film festivals. Yeah. That was, that was like 2000 so, bucks. So I was going to say, do it on <laughs> average, at least a hundred dollars a film festival. Yeah. So that's $2,000. You're never going to get to. And they, they trick your ass. Like they, they make it sound like you are going to get into yeah. that film festival. Yep. And then they send you emails. Like every single film festival reject that rejected your ass with, with a letter, send you an email to, to the apply thing, the next time. Joel did something that a, I also respect I respect the hell out of it because he invested his own money and he did a project for multiple years and he just has let he's, he's had the energy to continue to see it through. Right. If Joel was asking, and we've talked about this before, so it's not like I'm just telling him this for the first time, but to do a fictional, like a narrative based film and investing your money and writing your script and then producing it and then sending, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think you can still do it that way. You probably have a better shot at doing it that way versus creating a documentary on something that, uh, and we go back to the phone, a travel film in 2022 where people can see travel films on their phone. It, it's a harder thing to think about selling yeah. or to want or to want to sell. Whereas it's like, hey, if you put all this free content, the best thing that you're going to get is either you're going to get a brand deal and someone would pay you like Kosan would pay a comp, uh, pay a person to have that documentary as part of the brand. That's right? my travel company. That's Joel's travels. Oh, you never talk about your travel company on your podcast. I don't think so. Oh, uh, yeah, it'll hey. come up. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> it's not a surprise. What I'll, what I'll, like, where I'll interject there is again going to the conversation of knowing knowing a bit, knowing what you want. So, and I'll, I'll put this in the context of the second pilot project that I put that I've begun and we yep. can talk about the merits of, cause I, I had Ben Coles on the podcast who co-wrote my book, but also is published with Harper yep. Collins, et cetera. And he is now going after screenplays. And I think he, I can't remember if it was three he, or six. He's going after writing, uh, writing so he's original gonna, screenplays. 
So he's writing his own screenplays. Correct. Okay, so specs, we call those spec scripts. He's writing spec scripts. And he's, there's a bit of a quantity play there. You know, yep. it's not just shopping one. He's got an agent, fortunately for him, he's, because he's in there, he's got a literary agent. Yep. Shopping, I think, like I said, somewhere like around three or six. Nice. And that's just, he's not attaching himself to yeah. one idea. He's saying, okay, Great. I've done it. I'm going to write one again. But where I was going was, again, this was sort of a coaching moment for me when we were talking about my next project, which was Finding Nowhere, a sort of survivalist, how do we go back and live off the land? And we're talking to the, the agent and he was saying, if you just film, here's how I homestead, yep. that's a vlog. That's YouTube. Yep. There's no network that's going yep. to be interested. He says, if you, if you attach an, an element of, okay, is there, is there a story? Are you... It, are you re-engaging with the indigenous communities? Are you putting your phone in a drawer for a year and, and literally just locking yourself out in the bush? Like you need another element to tr- make the transition from blog to, yep. to network. And he's yep. saying either way is fine, but just know from the get go what you're aiming at yes. filming. Cause then you do this half thing Yep, and it's not really engaging enough for the YouTube viewer because they're not looking for that content yeah. necessarily. YouTube is probably to get one YouTube subscriber, that's like gold. So like you can um just building for for businesses, if you're a business trying to build a YouTube channel, really, really hard. If you're a creator that's trying to build a YouTube channel, it's gonna it's a long road. It's like any like when you hear comedians talk, they say it takes about 10 years to find your voice and your stage presence. Similar to YouTube, you got to be grinding on YouTube for five years before you might see any type of like decent monetary value uh, and or, you know, you could. But I mean, obviously, oh, well, this person, they did it with any they got a million subscribers in a year. Yeah. OK, one person out of the do you want know the number. Do you want to know what one of the number one uh, occupations for high school kids right now is? Is TikTok. No, to be a, well now probably, but it's it's a it's to be a content it's an influencer, a YouTuber. The high schoolers giving uh, investment advice on game, oh. GameStop and oh, dude, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> Wall so, Street bets. So it's it's absolutely it's absolutely crazy where we're transitioning in in uh, in in the world and looking at something like YouTube. You know, when you spend all this time, because everybody wants something really, really quick. So a lot of people don't have the wherewithal to like stay and build and do something uh, for for a year without seeing like shit results. But YouTube is like, YouTube is so hard to build and grow followers or subscribers or or anything. Like it, it, is, it is the one platform that if you get a subscriber, it's like, holy shit, like, Getting to a thousand subs, it's like, oh, I feel so good about that. Because if you get to a thousand, you could probably get to ten thousand. That's real, right? It's oh, real. real. Yeah, it feels like real. Whereas, like Instagram, it's like, okay, you can get to a thousand people on Instagram fairly quickly, and you can grow Instagram, and obviously you'll find those peaks and valleys. But going back to what you're saying about like vlogging and that, there's still a lot of merit to these travel vloggers or these tech review people or you know the. DIY, build it yourself type of people who are spending time developing content and and creating a channel that people are looking for. It's like they're they've switched it. Hey, I can be, I can be a, I can have my job during the day and then in the evening. I I like talking about technology. I like to buy technology. So if I create a, a tech review channel and people are actually watching me, well, eventually I might get free tech stuff, and that's good enough for me for for my YouTube channel. Do you tell Do you tell people to try and go? Uh, not necessarily only do one channel, 
but to only focus on one channel. Yeah, you should. I'm going to own yep. IG. Yep. I'm going to make my IG. No, so, okay, sorry. I thought you meant like a YouTube. A YouTube. No, um, I meant, or, or YouTube, but, mm. but trying to be singular focused on where I'm going to try and get my first big subscriber base. If you're a creator and you, okay, so if you're paying people to do it, I would say what's within your budget and then what platforms do you think you best have the chance to hit? Ultimately, I would say like you should try them all. And where like, so I'll go back to the Cowboys podcast that we have. So we do stuff on YouTube. We have an audio. Uh, we do a, a meme account on Instagram. So we creating those memes. My, so my, my brother is who, no, my brother creates the memes and then he posts them. He does like two a day. And then on that, so the meme account, people are following it. You're not trying to sell them anything. You're just putting out funny stuff that's related to something that I'm interested in. So I'm, putting something that I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm going to follow this meme account if I laughed at it. And then we can slide in advertisements for the podcast or the live stream or something from that. Same thing with TikTok. We'll do stuff on TikTok just to help promote the other brands. Uh, YouTube shorts. Like we, we wouldn't have done IG. If we, we get a lot of views in a month, we get about a half a million views collectively in one month. Congrats. I didn't realize it had grown that much. YouTube? I thought I was the only view. No, 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 no. No, no, but so so here, here's the thing. IG and TikTok are where we're getting all of those views. And a fraction, you know, in a month we, may, we might get a mass like 20 to 30,000 views on YouTube or YouTube shorts. Like YouTube shorts because it's a newer thing, so YouTube will push it a bit more. That's not anything. But what I'm getting at is if we were just laser focused on one platform like YouTube, then we wouldn't be getting a half a million views. The reason that's important for our podcast is that we want to be able to go out to advertisers or sponsors and say, we're taking, we're getting 500,000 views in one month collectively on all these platforms. How much would that audience be? And here's our engagement. All of our charts are showing green and they're showing up. So when we're trying to position ourselves to secure money or sponsorship from somebody, we have the analytics to prove that it's real. We didn't pay for them. So we know that they're real views and there's retention there. And we're just, we'd be very realistic about where you, you as an, as an advertiser or a sponsor would see some sort of recon, recognition, right? Uh, YouTube, if we were again, focusing on YouTube, it's so, it takes a lot of work. Like we started to put out YouTube shorts uh, which is similar to Instagram reels, which is similar to TikTok. Like the kind, if you think of them in, you know, it's vertical video, it's, it's 60, it's under 60 seconds. Well, not TikTok, but, uh, IG reels and YouTube shorts, very similar. Cause all these platforms bite from each other. Well, we're getting, we get more, no, they're all just going to be the same. Yeah. We get more views <laughs> off of like our YouTube shorts than we would on, let's say a regular YouTube post. Cause no one gives a shit right now. No one gives a shit about what we have to say about the Cowboys necessarily because we're not a personality, right? Same as the thing I would say to you, no one cares about Joel Primus and his family yet. Yeah. Why, why, why? Just let me cry it. Cry but, it out a little no, bit. No, why, no but, but if you are committed to put your time into building your brand and understanding what your audience is looking for and what your audience wants, then eventually people will care about you and you will be a brand. If other people out there are becoming these brands and becoming these things that people care about, then you have the chance to do it. 
as long as you have talent, talent does factor in here. You know what I mean? Like there or, is, or the yeah, talent or the end. Going back to the very beginning conversation, talent or the end result being such a great product. Yeah, that they don't care who you are because, and they might not even remember who you are at the end of the film. Yeah, but they liked the thing. Yep. You don't have to be Anthony Bourdain to enjoy. 60 minutes of a travel feature. Yeah. Right. Oh, dude. And you know what? I, uh, I, Anthony Bourdain's documentary, unreal. Yeah, really I good. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. I read his oral biography. Though. So I've never watched his shows. I never listened to him really in any episodes or anything. Like I, I didn't really follow Anthony Bourdain as much. I always kind of liked him. And obviously he's someone that you really looked up to. You know, I'll tell you why I haven't watched this documentary. Well, hang on. I'll tell you after. I watched the documentary and it's like, I could hear the way he would say things. I could hear you saying the things the same way. So like, I guess I was saying some of his mannerisms or the way he says things. It's like, whoa, that sounds like Joel because I've spent so much time (laughs) with you. It's inspiration, right? We are like, we are the people we hang out with or admire. The reason I didn't watch it was because I didn't want any new ideas yeah. for the film until yeah. it was done. I yeah. didn't want to be like, Adam, I just watched Bourdain's documentary, and I, there's a few things I want to tweak. That's why I didn't. Okay, so <laughs> you know what? You know why I, I love things like Anthony Bourdain? Uh, things like Anthony Bourdain? You know why I like hearing stories about people like Anthony Bourdain? He wasn't, he was like 40 or 50 years old until he started to really pop off. He wrote his book, right? Well, yeah, I, I can tell you that from because I just read the oral by oral by. Biography. I keep wanting to say autobiography. He didn't write it. It was told by at least fifty people who knew him in his life, and yeah, no, like not yeah. a happy addict. He was yeah. a he was a he was a uh, an alcohol like alcohol. Yeah. Oh, sorry, no, it was heroin. it was a heroin, heroin, heroin addict. I mean, he was for sure an alcoholic. But what's what's so crazy is even before Kitchen Confidential, which was the thing that blew him his up book and put him into uh, put him into a, sh- uh, a cook's tour. Yep. Which then became No Reservations, which then became Parts Unknown, which, you know, became all of it. He had, he was a fiction writer and he was oh, logging it out. They didn't say, they didn't say that in the, in two, the. Two published books. Well, one, one, he, first one was decent, like a decent check for the time, like 15 grand or something. Mm-hmm. The eighties. Right. He's a crime, crime fictional no- novelist. Second one. Okay. He was. He was engaged by Robert De Niro's production company just to write content. And then all that came crashing down. So the point is, he was a fighter. He was yep. dedicated. And he's doing all of this in the face of being a full-time cook and a heroin addict. Yep. Not, he wasn't, I don't, think, I don't think he was a heroin addict straight for, for 15 right. years. I think there was moments. And it just shows you, like, that is not an overnight success. No, so so not only an over. So yes, we're talking about the talent, and yeah. we talked about Anthony Bourdain. We're going not only just an over an overnight talent, but I'm just talking about age and time and effort. And obviously, you know, I'm 38. Totally thought I would have done like eight films by now mm-hmm. at my age. Like you know, you, these these visions of mm-hmm. again visions of grandeur, but. Got into uh, a, a role that I really like and, you know, have a family and you and growing these other aspirations. I like business. I like sales. Those are the things that I have been doing in that time to supplement maybe not doing a film. Mm-hmm. But I always will look at stories for people and I'll earmark 
people like Anthony Bourdain who hit later in life for something like Kitchen Confidential for this book and then these TV series. Yeah, he was in his 40s when he wrote it. Okay, yeah, I look at Michael Mann. Michael Mann was like 38, I think, before he did his first film. Ridley Scott was 38 to 40 before he did his first film. So I look at all these people that I respect as artists or filmmakers, and it's like, oh, they didn't start doing their craft, which we look at them as pinnacle people, until 40 plus. So it's... Lived experience. Lived ex- yeah, lived experience. And consistency. And Ben talked about this, and, and you and I talk about this. It's, it's lived experience that makes not necessarily the authenticity, but the character of the work you're doing more engaging, more interesting, more, more real potentially. Yeah. But it's the, it's the practice. Yep. Ben writes every single day. That's good. Yes. He has six books and he has a shitload of books that, and papers and things that nobody's ever read. Yep. Right? Of course. Bourdain was a dedicated writer. Yeah, he would just write. Hey, hey, kitchen, just confidential, write. kitchen Confidential started because he was emailing a friend of his, his yeah. escapades. Well, so, so did a chef's tour. Right. So or a cook's tour. He is, he was asked to go to, I don't, okay, I can't remember if he was, he was in Japan. This is, this shows you how magic this can be. He was in Japan. I can't remember what it specifically it was for. And he was just emailing yeah, that's daily. What, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Somebody. Yeah, his, a friend of his and that his, and it was. They just like the emails. Yeah. And they're like, shit, this, like, let's turn this into something. Yeah. That's what happens when you're, you're constantly putting things out there, engaged in, you know, where you want to take something. Yeah. I thought you were looking at your. I was. I know we're we're, we're live, but I'm. We have another. Well, we're not. I mean, guess coming te- in. Guess what? Technically, we're not live because we'll have to do some editing. I don't even know if we're still. I don't, <laughs> well, he's. I, I texted him, so you can tell you tell you how like uh, raw and unedited we are. We're waiting for the next meeting, but that that is. You are, to your credit, you're you are always telling me that you are always telling me and have always told me. Just turn the camera on. Just create. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you post it. Just turn the camera on and create. I, I, you've been telling me that since 2009, since I started my first company, Naked. That yep. was always you. And I had had this myopic view of, well, no, it has to be a good camera. It has to be the, the right moment. I got to like, yep. I got to be ready for the shot, you know. And, and you're yeah. just like, no, man, just go. I think it's, I mean, and... Uh, so it's easy for me to say that, but you do it too. Not as much. I mean, it's not, it hasn't just been until this uh, this Cowboys this Cowboys podcast that I started doing it because because I know like you saw look when we're setting stuff up. I'm going through these things. You're like, just let's go, bro. And it's like, yeah, let's just go because I'm oh, I overthink these things. So a lot of the times when people don't know the amount of work or time or things that need to go into said project or said expectations or whatever the case, whatever you want to talk about, they'll pick up a camera and they'll just start recording. They'll just start filming because they don't know any better. Mm -hmm. But because I've spent my life focused on trying to make this thing work as a filmmaker, I overthink things. I'm just exactly like you. So I, you know, when when you say my biggest fear, I think is uh, that saying where you're like, oh, those who cannot do teach, those who cannot do coach like that's feels what I get into sometimes. Like I haven't just made a movie because of what, well, it's easier for me to hop in onto your idea and to help you out because the amount of work that it takes to go through those ideas. Yeah. If it's like, if you knew what you knew now, would you still start? 
Well, if, yeah, exactly. Now, right. if I knew what I knew now, I would have, I would have definitely, if I would have, if I would have went back to 14 year old me and said, okay, you want to be a director. Great. You're probably better suited working in TV and directing episodic episodes where you get hired as a director and you can come in and you can direct episodes and you can get your feet wet that way versus taking the time and creating something from scratch. So in my mind, it's like, I have to write it. I have to direct it. I have to film it. I have to edit it. I have to do all, everything about it. Cause it's my, 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 mind. you know, Quentin Tarantino does it, you know, Robert Rodriguez does it. It's like all these people that I grew up being like, they do it everything end to end themselves or that's their project. Whereas how, where I, as a 38 year old person who's been doing this, who's been doing film or been a filmmaker for, uh, you know, three decades or however long you want to fucking say it, I would go back and give the advice that I've been giving someone like you and be like, look, look, see how you could break in and direct some, direct some TV. Vancouver is a very big production area. Mm -hmm. Have you thought, how do you get in to become a director for television series? Yeah. And even starting, wasn't it, uh, I was going to say even starting, at even a lower level that you don't get to direct right away, but you, but you have the ambition to climb. Was it John Wick? Was it the, uh, you're talking about the, 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 stu uh, the stunt coordinator got is that the guy, the guy became the director. Like the, yeah. The it happens a lot. Greatest, third greatest action series of all, greatest action. Yeah. So stunt coordinators. So a lot of the times there's a couple of movies, like the guy who did, I think Deadpool two, he was a, the stunt coordinator. He was a stunt coordinator. The, um, if you've seen, uh, Chris Hemingsworth, on Extraction, which is a Netflix show, the guy who is a stunt coordinator for movies like Avengers or all of the like the Thors, and he's the guy who written, wrote, and directed Extraction, which was like a, a, a big one of the, at the time when it came out, it was like Netflix's most watched action movie or a movie in general. So you'll get people who come from other disciplines. And they see how other people are doing it and they have an idea and then they can go and they can execute it and they can get, they can deliver something that's pretty badass. A lot of the times for stunt coordinators, the reason it works so well for like action movies is most of the times if you and I are, are stunt coordinators and we're doing, we're building out a stunt for a, a movie, we have to film stuff a certain way. We have to find those angles. How does that punch look? How does that fall look? How does that crash look? So you have to be thinking like a director. And a lot of the times these stunt coordinators were also, uh, they'll also be like second unit directors or they'll, and second unit directors are usually the ones who are filming the action. And then they'll, would they be, would they also be writing, writing what is possible in the action? Sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Like, like, why don't we try Like push the boundary yep. of what stunt we can do yep. or pull it back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so sometimes when you're depending on the type of movie script, you're looking at, it could say a car chase happens how long is that car chase? How does that car chase work out? Well, I don't know. I just need to, there needs to be a car chase right. and there could be certain beats that the car chase happens. And then they'll look to the stunt coordinator to be like, well, how can we make this happen? What's cool. And then the stunt coordinator can come up with a lot of, a lot of or we'll collaborate with the director. So what's your, what's your creative process on, uh, when you say I've got to get a shot. Okay. Take today. We ride, you know, motorbike, motor, motorbike trip across the country. Take, Cambodia where you're, you're pedal biking across and you're saying your creative process day of 
I don't know, you're writing it down. Are you just getting there and you assessing the situation and saying, so those, those two, those two projects, you're on a moving vehicle and you don't have time to stop and think. So a lot of that is, so this, I guess this is kind of where like, because I filmed thousands and thousands of hours of projects, you have to make quick decisions and you got to have to stand by it and you have to be thinking on your feet. You know, I, I toured with uh, a band for a few years and you tour with these kids, these kids were crowns. So I, I tour, I did, I did a mini tour with them and then I went across Canada with them. Did they pay so, you for that? Uh, the second tour, so this one I was younger, uh, you know, and for anybody listening, don't ever discount doing free work to, to get your reps in there. Um, you know, I, I've done a lot of trips that I haven't got paid on that. It's just the experience. And then you get a lot of yeah ex- experience. I got to pay a little bit on it, but not enough to, was Linz with you, your wife? No, no, no. I was on the bus with the guys. I know for that long. How long? Uh, it was only a thirty-day. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It wasn't like a six-month tour. They never did that's big the, tours like that. Like, you're still married. No, no. You guys got a good marriage. No, we. <laughs> yes, I, we do. And and I have a very understanding wife uh, who sometimes has to put up with her husband's dreams and and maybe uh, insane work ethic, I guess you could say, always having something going on. Actually, the time I toured across Canada with them, I believe we just had our second baby. So she was at home by herself with two young oh, kids. Oh, man, you know I did that. Yeah, and I know I you almost, did. Yeah. I almost got divorced, though, but we, we fought it out. Like, yeah. not, not fought it in a bad way, fought for it to keep the relationship. Yeah, so mine was, like, very small. Like, it wasn't, like, every week. It was, I mean, working at agency here, my schedule, you know, I, for the first few years like just you're trying to work on the business it's not in the same city that we live in so some of the jobs early on you you are traveling a lot so yeah there's there's a lot of strain but communication needs to be a, a pretty big factor for that you away from what you were originally- I don't even know what I was gonna say I, I don't oh I think sorry quick decisions I you know I feel confident enough in my age that I can go into something not as prepared as you would like to be and still get something that's usable I don't want to say it's it's great because I think preparation is always going to outweigh being unprepared. Taking the time to, th- I, you know, my challenges, I probably don't think about stuff as much as I should in terms of like what I'm trying to do or how I can make it better. That, that was the benefit just to jump in where of because we filmed Raging Global Citizens over like five years, every country, you'd be like, why didn't you film that? And yep. then I would, okay, next time I know these little things that you don't think of when you're on the ground or vice versa, the things that you spent too much time filming that you don't want to film. And then they cost you tons of time. And they cost you tons of time. Back in. Yeah. And that was, that's a tough, that's, that, that's a greater discipline. Yeah. Right? It's if you, you've ever built a business or if you've ever done any, anything within your job after a certain amount of time, it just feels like it's repetition and you're able to make quicker decisions than what you were the first time you heard it. So project like, the uh, Cambodia Clean Water Project or the Today We Ride documentary, those ones were moving moving vehicles. And when I say moving vehicles, it wasn't stopping. We had two people that were, we had subjects that we were filming that were going from point A to point B and they couldn't wait for us to set up a shot. So the planning... That's because you have to do it in a certain number of so hours. So the Today right? We Ride, they had to do it in a certain amount of time. And then with the Cambodia, Cambodia Clean Water Project, they were biking across the Persat, uh, Persat province in Cambodia, and they were going like 300 some odd kilometers on bikes, but it was not like 
300 kilometers doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're going through the, through the mountains and camping in the jungle, like, and in the heat, and the idea was to stop and really interact with the destitute poor who were possibly going to get clean water wells or who have had gotten clean water wells. That was the subject of that documentary. Put yourself in that environment, in that situation, bike across the province, stop and hear and tell these stories for the people that were there. So all the planning for those ones, you're just basically planning for the problems that are going to come up. You're not necessarily, you're kind of planning for the shots, but like ultimately you're shooting on the back from the back of a vehicle at bike riders. So what are the moments of the story that we want to capture? Well, we don't know all the moments yet because they're not happening. So a lot of that stuff comes down to technical logistics and then what are the things that you need? So I need an establishing shot. I need um, updates from the riders. I need, and these are for both projects. You're just trying to figure out what are the elements that are going to help you craft your story when you're in post. But ultimately, you're going to be wading through a lot of footage that is never going to see the light of day. And you need to bring it down to something that's digestible and like entertaining for people that are going to watch it. Yeah, that the, we're now, oh man, like we had a, we had a 10 hour, we had a, four hour, we had a three hour, we had a two hour and now, you know, now it's sitting around an hour and a half. But now what we're doing with all that extra RGC footage is we're doing not episodes, but we're going back and we're saying, where are the moments that we yeah. can clip out? Which, you know, it, this is like, this is the school of hard knocks, failure after failure. And like now realizing that, that, that cost me tens of thousands of dollars in mistakes to do it this way. Yeah. But now there's something to play with and, and it just takes time and not a lot of people have time. That's what I wanted. That was my way of leading into asking, how are you managing your time creatively these days? And, or just the, the, the balance of, cause you, I'm a busy guy. You put me to shame in terms of how busy you are, how you're always on set. Is there balance? What, if there is balance, what does that look like? Where, and specifically from the frame of, mind, body, but also where like time to be just a bit creative? Yeah. So great question. Cause you can get really, really, for a long time, it was just like grind it out, do the work. Don't, don't think about anything else except for the work that you're, you're doing. And by the work, I mean like agency and within my, it was like one of those things you, you talk about failure. Well, for so long, I tried to, to make these films, you try to get funding for it. Um, you're working, you know, a regular job with dreams of doing something that you love and it just never happens. So then when I get into a role that you seem some immediate like success and acceleration in, and you feel like, Whoa, the things that I'm saying, people are listening and they're thinking you're smart and they're giving you the respect that you thought you could get. You want to put everything that you have into that. So for the first, for the, for a long time, it was like, you know, live and breathe. I put create, I said, I'm not going to do anything of my own creative projects. I'm just going to focus completely on helping build this marketing company. And I went from a video person to creative director to president of the company. And then ultimately I'm back into a creative director. You could call it creative director. I titled it chief creative officer just to make it sound more important, but going back into the creative side of things, because I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to just be running a business. I want to be, involved in leadership of the business, but I want to be working on creative stuff or marketing things. Cause I feel like that's my strong points. That's my strong suits. That's, that's what it is. So for a long time, I didn't even touch anything creative outside 
of work. The way I'm handling my creative aspirations now is that any personal time, I'm not taking, I'm trying not to take work home with me. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to work on work at home. I'm working on creative projects. Mm-hmm. So it still feels like it's work, but it's, that's, that's my creative outlet. That's where the time is. So the time isn't about sitting and pondering. The time is actually like getting in and doing it like the podcast, which can help for a while. And then ultimately it'll be like, okay, well now I want to maybe I'll, you know, started working on scripts, started working on ideas that have always been burgeoning and figuring out ways that you could actually implement or execute those ideas down the road and plan it out and just be a little bit more patient with myself and not say like, you know, motherfucker, you better have this by the time you're 23 or else you're going to be a failure because that was, that was for the longest of man, the should have, the should have, you should, you should that what you're saying goes right back to what you said earlier about just get a job as, you know, try, try, get a job as a director on a set where there's a ton of opportunity inside the right organization with the right people. This just goes back to Andrew Westland who yep. is a bold, bullish yep. entrepreneur, you know, cause you're, flying around in helicopters, filming heli ski trips, then you're on set, then you're on, you know, ripping up a river filming it, then you're yep. like, and you're, you're keeping that fire alive and you're learning along the way. And I found as I've gotten older, my desire to burden the operational managerial risk of a company. I mean, I've lost shit tons of money uh, because I'm not as inclined managerially as I should right. be. I'm an entrepreneur. I'll st- I don't have a problem with risk, but I do struggle with the, the being in the right role. Right. And you recognize that. Yeah. Is that fair? Like it's not, a, it's not a, no, no. I mean, I, I went for a long time thinking, man, you suck. Um, at like what you're yeah. so, so stupid. Like you couldn't run like, why, how could you not run that business? But the self-awareness comes from, I'm happier being a creative. Doesn't mean I don't want to, run a business. I'm involved in a lot of businesses, um, and involved in a lot of the same things that like the same, like I get to still be involved in deal making. I still get to be involved in strategy. I just don't have to be responsible for certain people's like certain employees. I probably am not a very good, probably not like I can't even speak English. I don't think I'm a, a, a good manager like managing other people's time is something that I'm not great on. I can, I want to be able to say a few things and then not have to micromanage people. I think micromanaging is, is, is not great. I don't like it. I don't want to be micromanaged. I don't want to micromanage anybody. I want people to do their job the way that they say they could do their job. And I like working with other people with the same drive and determination. And I love collaborating. I just don't want to be the person who I don't, I don't like sitting and looking at eight people that's why I'm probably, I coached a lot growing up, but maybe I wasn't a great coach because it's, it's me doing what? Expecting other people to get the job done. So these ideas or these thoughts of like what you should or what you should attain to is great. And then you do it and you try it, you get the experience and then you can take that and impart it on someone else. Like, I think that's kind of where I'm, that's my Zen like thinking right now is taking the experience that I have personally and professionally and how can I utilize that to impact my friends or impact the clients that I'm working with or the, the projects that I'm going to be jumping into and, and moving into, into the future. 
we're all we're all happier. You're right. The Zen is the right word. We're all happier when we find this. You know, Guy Hendricks calls it the zone of genius. That zone where we thrive, and when we find the zone where we thrive, the impact that we make creatively, financially is is just greater naturally. Yep. And but to get there, it's a it's a zigzaggy, bumpy road of mistakes. Yeah. And and it continues. You still make mistakes, but when you're in that zone, it just flows differently. Right. 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 I you know we we're gonna we're gonna wrap. And where there's there's like like wrap, or like wrap it up. Like did I not say, do you not is that not how you close out a? Podcast? No, I, I know. I just I just I thought I was well, trying. I'm new to this, man. You got seventy five podcasts on listen, your belt. I, I was trying to make a joke, and I guess the joke <laughs> didn't hit. <laughs> man, I I don't want to say the wrong thing. No, no. See, that's the thing. Don't it's worry so about this. Is this is your this is the ramble a Joel Primus podcast. God, you can do you can ego written all over that's do, insecurity written all over you that. You can do time. whatever. <laughs> I got a question for you. When you so oh, I enjoy just talking and I know you enjoy talking. Your goal for your podcast, like are you what are you trying to pull from people? Like what is I guess if I was to be uh going into sales or marketing mode mode with you, it's like, you know, if I was to look at a slug line in terms of what this podcast was, like what what is this podcast? Oh, I'm figuring it out as yeah. I go. Here, here's here's the here's the the bullet points. Which I like that answer, by the way. It was something that people told me I should try. Yep. That I resisted. Yep. For all the same inner critic reasons that we I can't do it well. Yep. I don't have the time. I'm not going to make it as good as Tim Ferriss or whoever. Yeah, right? of course. So two years, three years of that, and I was like, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to put that aside and say, okay, should I still start a podcast? And then. There was this period of time, I want to say, I try and catch up with like all my friends three times a year. Right. Generally just phone. Yeah. You and I talk way more than that, but yeah. you know, I got friends Thankfully. all over the world, right? And you just, when you've got kids and wife and projects, you can't talk to everybody all the time. Yeah. Have these interesting conversations. I'd be like, I think somebody zone, listen, uh, uh, beaming in, whatever, listening into that. Would in, enjoy, enjoy that conversation. Yeah. A very random conversation with interesting people that i know yeah i was like well, let's just start there and then we'll see in that vein i have there's no there's no agenda i want yeah. everybody and i wanted you know the last piece of it was there was all this talk of censorship and and you know far far reaching uh ideologies that said well you can't say that and you shouldn't say that you should say it this way or that way, et cetera. And, and if you don't say it this way or that way, you're, you're fucking canceled. You're done. Right. You're not allowed to be a human being. Anymore. Right. And I, I didn't like that. That didn't sit with me. And I wanted to create a platform where people could just talk as yep. to what was going on for them. And nobody who listens to me talk is going to think that I'm an authority on fucking anything. <laughs> so that, those were the three things and just jumped into it. And I am curious because I like, I like the, the, the medium. Yep. It's, it's, it's been enjoyable. Well, it's nice that you're going with it and you don't necessarily have to have those answers right away because everybody else is out there trying to do the same thing. And you always hear, well, everybody's starting a podcast. Well, who cares? The difference is that everybody who's starting a podcast, chances are 90% of them are not going to be doing it in six months from now. They're not going to be consistent with it. They're not going to be diligent with it. They're not going to refine it. So if you can 
have the work ethic that I know you do and you stick with it and then you tweak it and adjust it as you go, get your reps, get your stage time, get like, get your 10,000 hours. The reason in film school that they tell you or any type of screenwriter is just write and your first three scripts, guess what? Nobody's going to read them. They're going to be dog shit. Nobody cares. The first few episodes that people listen, that see you do, no one's going to remember that. No one's really going to give it a rip if you're good or bad, except for the people within your inner circle. So the way that you could supplement that is have these episodes, take what the best moments for a few of these initial episodes and just help promote that to, to, so people can see, so that people can see that this is what he's about. And then as you continue to get the reps going through it, it becomes better and better and better. And then you refine your process. And I see, I'm seeing that already. I'm not in terms of me refining my process. I'm just finding people and subjects. Yep. Harder. Or no, things, things that I like talking about. Oh, right. Versus okay. things that I don't, I'm not enjoying talking about, or I'm just, it's just not sparking me. Right. I yeah. guess in the same the, way. The problem with a generalist podcast is that people don't necessarily know what to talk about coming into it. If you were a fitness podcast, you would have guests that you could approach and people coming in will have a very fitness perspective. You know, the guys like Tim Ferriss who will talk about whatever Tim Ferriss is interested in, he's Tim Ferriss, right? Yeah, and he's actually, but he is focused, right? He's trying to dissect human performance, yeah. analyze human performance and tease out the tips and the tricks and, and the habits of, of the world's top performers. Yeah. So, so he does have a focus. So... And yeah, you're right. Maybe Tim Ferriss is a bad example. So it was a very terrible example. (laughs) (laughs) But so uh, Joel Primus, who has a generalist podcast, maybe you might find the thing that you really like or the topics that you really want to focus in on. And then that's when you're, you know, I'm going to approach these guests. I'm going to get these types of guests and questions in on it. But at the end of the day, again, it's your, like these first few episodes, I Dare I say anybody is listening right now? Uh, it's a funny My joke. My mom is fucking listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, she she would she don't have the time for this. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, who the hell's Adam Bessie? Yeah, who's this guy? All these fucking rambles, uh, just like my son. <laughs> yeah, like I had to listen to him talk for twenty years. T- gonna- <laughs> yeah, and now I got some other guy who thinks he's important. <laughs> Brother, uh, I appreciate the advice, and I'm going to have you back on before I uh, go down a lane in which you are no longer invited. (laughs) (laughs) But before we sign off, where you and the agency, you are one of the same unit. Yeah. You are the same trinity of (laughs) Andrew Wesley and the agency, Adam Bessie. There's a trinity. Uh, where, where do you want people to come find you and find your projects and all that great stuff? Oh, yeah, great. Uh, agency Media, I mean, on all the platforms that you look at, it's just Agency Media. Very simple name to look at. Uh, Cowboys Can Fan, at Cowboys Can Fan. Uh, that's where we put a lot of this, like, entertainment content. But, yeah, agency.media, agency period media is our website. So you can check out the company and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really, actually, I'm not really as active on, I'm personally not as active on Instagram. How can you be? Look at all the time you're spending on Cowboy. Yeah, I know. Well, and I don't even, I don't even spend, I just oh, have. Oh, Bro's doing that. Yeah, he does it, so. I know you said he did the memes, but I, I guess I assumed you did the rest, to be honest. Yeah, well, I, I, I focus a lot on the YouTube side of it, but yeah. Okay, man, well, check out Adam Bessie. And uh, check you, out Adam Bessie. Oh, he said agency, but check out Adam Bessie's I, uh, IMBDB. IMDb. IMDb, sure. because 
some of the films that we talked about are, are on, on there. there. And Today We Ride's a great film. Well, probably, I mean, yeah. It's we could talk. We could we could talk more about those projects. Uh, I want to next time we will. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, bro. Thanks, Joel. As always, thanks so much for listening to the ramble. You know, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the the solution, the the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you. And, make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and all that great stuff so if the spirit does move you subscribe share post anything we'd be forever grateful and if you have any comments or feedback good bad ugly it doesn't matter we're here to listen guests you think we should have on of course send them along thank you and until next time peace